You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast. I have Yakov Koffler. He's at uh, UC San Diego working on biomimetic 3D printed scaffolds for spinal cord injury repair. So, Yakov, thank you for coming. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, what got you interested in uh, working on uh, spinal cord repair? Um, I did my PhD in biomedical engineering, um, working on uh, muscles. Um, vascularized skeletal muscles. And towards the end of my PhD, I sort of wanted to move into a new field and um, I wanted to be able and contribute um, my knowledge in a new field um, where there's not a lot of um, tissue engineering and uh, this kind of research involved. And I learned that in uh, neurology, and specifically in spinal cord injury, back then, talking about 2010, nine years ago, um, there wasn't much of uh, this kind of interdisciplinary approach, tissue engineering, scaffolds, and so on. Um, and, and on top of that, spinal cord injury is a field where there are still there's still a, a big need for treatments because if you go for example to cardiovascular research um someone goes to the ER with a with a heart problem the doctor pretty much knows what to do um you know what drugs to give and, and the patient has a good chance of of going back to previous life um as before while with spinal cord injuries, there's still no approved treatment. And so I thought that I would, um, I'm interested to bring my um, knowledge and, and contribute to fields where there's a big need. And I felt like that there's a big need in the field of spinal cord injury. Um, and I thought that tissue engineering um, can uh, contribute um, to development of new treatment. Right. Okay. Yeah, but what I know with with the spinal cord, it doesn't. The nerves won't regrow, right? If there's a tear or or a disruption, is that right? Yes, that's correct. In the central nervous system, if someone is injured, for example, in a car accident, and the spinal cord is severed in a way that um, he's losing function, um, 
he's not going to get this function back again. Um, chances are there, there are well there are some spontaneous recovery, but that's again spontaneous recover spontaneous recovery. Um, it's not something robust that happens. If someone um, sits in a wheelchair and doesn't have any motor you know function under the injury level, that's probably going to be there for the rest of his life. What about in the peripheral nervous system? Is there um, at least some healing there? Yes, the peripheral nervous system is different. Uh, the, it does regenerate after injury. Um, it's a different scenario there in terms of treatment. The treatment there, um, what you usually do, the gold standard is to do a nerve graft, an autologous nerve graft. So the, um, the surgeon will take a, a sample of a nerve, usually from um, and then implant that um, where you need to repair that gap injury. Um, and the, that's the, the state of the art. That's what they do in the clinic. There are some approved clinical devices for short gaps, but they're perceived as, as not beneficial. They're, they're not really improving um, the patient's life. You don't regain really your function your motor function, your sensory function, it doesn't get back to what it was before the injury. So really the gold standard is um, is, an, is a nerve graft and hospital. Well, why, why don't uh, the nerves, especially in the central nervous system, regrow? Have you looked at the particular cells that would be involved in regrowing and found out anything about them? So that's a great question, and, and we don't have a, a good answer. Um, um, what we know is that the after injury in the central nervous system, in the spinal cord, um, there is a glial scar that is formed around the injury site that is uh, believed to inhibit uh, regeneration. There are some other extracellular matrix components that inhibit regeneration. Um, it is thought that maybe the nerves themselves um, has um, don't have the program that would then enhance regeneration. Uh, and, and people are working on different approaches to enhance axonal regeneration in the central nervous system um, using gene therapy, um, CRISPR, stem cells. Um, some papers from our lab um, showed uh, that um, central nervous system axons can actually regrow if you provide a matrix that would support this regeneration, for example, stem cells. And we had a few papers showing that. Um, but it, it's a good question why the central nervous system axons don't regenerate. Um, and, um, and there's a lot of research, uh, a lot of efforts in this field. And I suppose that once we'll know, then we'll be able to discover new mechanisms that we can then change maybe and help regeneration. Well, does the nervous system have uh, stem cells that are native to it, like other tissues do? So yes, in the brain, uh, not so much in the spinal cord. Um, so it's it, in the context of spinal cords, you can't really say there are native stem cells in the spinal cord that can proliferate and then provide a new matrix for regeneration. It's not like, for example, in the, in the muscle that you have satellite cells in the 
uh, in the muscle, embedded in the muscle. Those are sort of a mature, they're halfway to mature cells. And when you have an injury, those come, wake up, proliferate, go into the injury, um, and create new muscles. So that kind of thing doesn't exist in the, in the spinal cord. Well, during embryological development, you know, our, uh, our central nervous system is growing and innervating and, and, and all that. And then I guess, it, I don't know, I mean, we continue to grow after that. So I would think that uh, our nervous system, even our central nervous system grows with us as we grow and lengthen. You know, has anyone studied somehow in juveniles, you know, even juvenile rats, how the nervous system grows over time and you know, what kind of yeah. cell-to-cell communication is happening and when that stops or if it stops? Yes, yeah, so that's correct. And um um, that's part of the approaches that people are taking, um, that is to look at development, what happens in development, why young young neurons are able to extend long axons, create synapses, and what's changed in the, in the program um, of the mature cells that they don't do that anymore. Why um, stem cell-derived axons, um, neurons that extend long axons, can do that. Um, we're trying to learn from the stem cell field um, um, what young um, neurons that are developing, differentiating from stem cells uh, and are able to extend long axons, what kind of programs they express and how can we use technology in order to drive the mature neurons in the brain to extend axons again after injury. So yes, definitely people are looking into that, but that's a big field. There's a lot of, you need to dig into the DNA, into the uh, RNA, into the protein um, um, reservoirs that you have in the in the cells. You want to see what is being expressed, what is functioning in the cell. So that's a lot of proteomics and, and, and RNA-seq and DNA um, um, expression studies. And, and as you can imagine, there's a lot of bioinformatics um, that goes into that in order to try and decipher this huge amount of data that's coming out of these studies. So, yes, there's a lot of effort in this field to try and learn from development. Well, what about even the physiology, you know, of the spine, the morphology of it? As, as um, a juvenile grows, you know, maybe the spine just doesn't get longer but also the nerve bundles, maybe more nerves accumulate or maybe they somehow radially thicken. I mean, any clues there on how the spine, uh, you know, grows as someone's a juvenile to see the points at which the spine grows? Yeah, so the way it works in development is that as an embryo, um, the, de- the development period is meaning the time where the the nerve extend an axon and the axon gets to the appropriate target um, is really while you're um, probably in the first trimester a bit longer than that and as you grow older you're talking about a elongation of the system so there are a few um, processes that are happening right there's elongation and there is um, creating the synapses um, and those are different processes. Um, and yes, as we grow, the the nervous system grows, but the nervous system itself is already there. Um, it takes us up to two years to develop the fine motor skills, you know, that we, more than that, but most of the fine motor skills 
are, are developed during the first two, three years. Um, and that's pretty much not a function of new nerves innervating. It's just a function of shaping the connections that are already there, creating maybe new synapses or new targets. But it's not so much re of the whole system. You don't have, when you're two years old, um, a new uh, nerve that extends and new axons all the way from the brain down to the spinal cord. Those are already there. Those already innervated your uh, hands, for example. Um, what you have now would be just shaping that innervation um, so you can really, um, while you acquire those fine motor skills, the system can adapt. Um, but you don't have new, new, uh, new innovation when you're two-year-old. It's not there. So it, it really happens, all of that happens early on in time. That's why we learn from stem cells, because stem cells represent the, the early population of the neurons. And that's what we're trying to learn from, how to drive development again in an injured system. So what, what's your, uh, your hypothesis? How do you think it could be best done? So some of the studies being done is, is you try to find um, what are the genes that are being expressed in those uh, stem cells that are now extending axons, for example. And then you go to the uh, injured system, the mature injured system, and you want to see if those genes are expressed, if they're maybe down-regulated, maybe you can upregulate them. Um, so that's the kind of approach being taken, for example, in the field. Have you tried to look at, again, cell-to-cell communication of the uh, the edge cells versus the ones that aren't on the edge that aren't damaged or are internal? So communication, not sure what you're, you're what you refer to with I would think they're different. So, uh, so, so it's not a cell. Yeah. So, so the, in the spinal cord, what you're looking at are axons. So if you think about that, the axon is like uh, like an electrical wire, okay? You have the source of the signal that comes from the brain, from the neuron, and then there's a long process, like an electrical wire, that goes through the spinal cord, okay? It's not a cell body. It's just the, it's just the, the wire itself. And when there's an injury, the wire is cut. Um, when the wire is cut, there are a few things that happen. First, what everything that's on the other side of the injury away from the brain, is being degraded. So that part of the wire, that part of the axon dies back, dies off. You lose that. Second, there is some retraction of the part of the axon. There's some retraction of that electrical wire that's closer to the brain. And different systems retract differently. But there is some, to some extent, um, uh, retraction away from the injury side. Not much, but there is some. There is a, a, as I said, there is a glial scar. There is, there is a kind of a scar that forms around the injury site and blocks it. The reason is because the, the injury itself is very inflamed. Anything that's in there or close to that will die because um, inflammation is just cle- clearing everything there. So there's a lot of deb- cell debris, there's a lot of junk, there's a lot of liquid in there. Over time in humans, that would clear, and you would just have cavities in there. So that's on the, the, the mechanical so part of that. So, yeah. So that, are you trying to 3D print 
the missing structures with coupling to the existing structures or what's your correct your methodology correct. so so what we are doing is since all that structure fell down and disappeared what we are doing is to provide this structure again so uh, and, and we do that in a biomimetic approach, meaning we're looking at how the structure was designed previously, what's the natural architecture of the spinal cord. And then we create a scaffold that looks exactly like that, and we bring it back into the lesion site. So, so, in so we, we print two, we can print two um, kind of features. So the first is if you would look at the spinal cord in the longitudinal aspect, the size of the injury, they would be, there won't be a clear cut. It's quite rare that it would be like a clear cut. They would have some jagged kind of side. So we can print a scaffold that would look like that. So match the way the contour of the injury would look like. The second um, feature that we print is that we print longitudinal linear channels. Those channels support regeneration of those host axons that we talked about, those electrical wires, if able to regenerate into the spinal cord. Because when axons regenerate, um, generally, they, they venture in all directions. And that's also what happens in development. When an axon elongates, the way it, it goes into space, is to venture in all directions, trying to find which the right way to go in order to get to the target. So axons can go, you know, left, right, up, down, but even backwards sometimes. And so um, what we do is when we provide those uh, linear channels, you restrict the growth to one side. So that's only the other side of the lesion. If an axon gets into a, a channel, it would go directly to the other side. There's nowhere else to go. And uh, a previous paper from the lab from 2010 showed that um, if you provide a stem, um, um, just a cell grasp without channels um, in an injury site in the spinal cord, only 20% of axons would reach the other side of injury. But if you provide channels, more than 80% would reach the other side. And that's just because we're organizing that regeneration. And the other part, the, the third part, is that we then provide um, neural stem cells um, inside those channels. And then what we do is we have another approach where we create a neuronal relay. So when the, there is an injury to the spinal cord, not only those electrical wires being damaged, there's also a local um, um, population of neurons that provide some kind of of it's called that relay um, processing for signals naturally as they go through the spinal cord. These kind of these cells uh, naturally are in what's called the gray matter of the spinal cord, and they also die and they're also damaged in an injury. And so we provide them back inside the, um, the channels, and then those axons that are now able to regenerate into the scaffold because the stem cells provide this permeable matrix, they would meet a stem cell derived neuron, create a synapse, and then relay the signal to the stem cell derived neuron. The stem cell derived neuron in now can take this signal, extend new axon, extend new electrical wire that would go down the spinal cord beyond the injury and reconnect back to the periphery. 
And so this way, we're reforming that relay that naturally exists in the spinal cord. Well, again, if you're going to send, if a nerve will tend to innervate more if it has a, a, a path that it can follow, the end of the nerve is sitting there at the beginning of the path. How is it sensing what's that there is a path and that there's a, you know, there is a certain path ahead of it, so it should regrow more than not? How could it do that? So that that's we're not uh, controlling the regeneration pace rate. What we're con- what we're doing is we're shaping regeneration. And so some systems, so there are multiple systems in the spinal cord. Some would, some of them would be sensory systems. Some of them would be motor systems. Within the motor system, some of them would be in charge of fine motor movements. Some of them would be in charge of gross motor movements. Each system, each bundle of electrical wires, each bundle of axons originate from different cells in the brain. And each one, we call them tracts, each tract has a different capacity of regeneration. Some of them will not regenerate at all. doesn't matter what you do. Some of them, if you provide stem cells, would suddenly wake up and, and regenerate. Um, and, and that's part of the thing that we're trying to understand, why they wake up now. That's what I described before. And, and so um, we're looking to find out what happened. Why? And again, this is a, a gene expression study, not a scaffold study. This is a gene expression study where once you were able to elicit regeneration, you want to go back and see what happens, what genes are expressed, now, what genes are upregulated, what genes are downregulated, and then find out how you can maybe improve that. What can you do to, to more regeneration? Um, and that's ongoing studies. Do you know, think the waking up process has to do with the cell, that particular cell, somehow taking in information that now it has a path before it, that thing should grow into that path? Yes, I, I definitely agree. Yes, because without that, we don't, without the stem cells, we don't see a significant regeneration. So definitely the, the stem cells provide, um, and, and so, and, and that's a big question. So what are they really providing? Are they providing just a more supportive matrix? Um, are they providing some kind of chemical cues? Uh, are the chemical cues local? Are they uh, being um, transferred, communicated longer in terms of length away from the injury site? These are uh, ongoing studies um, to, to find out the mechanism of regeneration. So what specific area are you focusing on uh, making sure that the pathways are, are optimal or what's your role? Correct. So I'm focusing on on 3D printing and stem cells for axonal regeneration. Um, and I'm focused on providing um, the best structure that can first um, um, help shape regeneration, support regeneration, guide regeneration to, uh, to the target. Because even if you put just stem cells, let's assume, for example, now that the stem cells are the best thing we have, Stem cells by themselves, when they extend their axons, they go in all directions. So again, uh, even the stem cells themselves need guidance. So I'm providing guidance to host regenerating axons and stem cells derived axons. Um, We're adding the stem cells. Again, that's another approach um, to um, provide neuronal relay that would able um, to create supraspinal control, a significant. Uh, hopefully significant control um, over the periphery. 
Um, we also provide um, a matrix of the scaffold itself that would um, able to provide a protective environment to those stem cells because part of the thing that we showed was that um, we were able to um, provide a protective environment in an acute implant, meaning an injured, in, injured um, spinal cord that had an immediate treatment, immediate implant with scaffold and stem cells. Um, if you compare that to just stem cells, um, the stem cells do not survive. When you implant stem cells in the acute time frame, um, while we have that um, inflammation that we talked about before, extensive inflammation, that extensive inflammation is cytotoxic to the cells. The cells die. That's why um, any other stem cell studies that's been so far are all in the subacute one week post injury, two weeks post injury implants, not in the acute implant, uh, not in the acute time frame. And so what we showed was that using the stem cells, uh, providing that protective environment, it opens a new window for treatment in the acute time frame, which is relevant because what happens with uh, patients when they get um, to the hospital in the first three to four days, they would go already through the first uh, at least one surgery, um, it's called debridement. So to clean all the um, all the junk that that's in the spinal cord due to the injury, and maybe re reduce um, um, bone uh, compression. Usually there is some kind of piece of a bone that um, um, creates pressure on the spinal cord because there was an, uh, an injury. So you need to go in, relieve that pressure. That pressure by itself can create further injury. So you want to remove that. All of that happens in, in, in the acute time frame. And if you have an approach saying, I want to put the stem cells as soon as possible, then those stem cells will not survive if you just put them there by themselves. We show that if we put a scaffold, the scaffold provide a protective environment. So you can go in earlier and treat earlier and maybe um, have better improvement in regain of function. Have you tried to put in a, a scaffolding with a choice of where a nerve could go, like two paths, you know, a wide junction and see what happens? Meaning to change the path? No, give it a choice. If you, uh, you put in not just the, you know, a pathway, one pathway, but a choice of, let's say, two pathways, a, a pathway that bifurcates into two channels to see um, how it, it, if it regrows differently and if it chooses one yeah. channel or another or both. Yeah. No, uh, we haven't done that. Um, the reason is, um, you know, there are about a million axons in the spinal cord. And again, there are different tracks. And the, at the end of the day, what you want to do is to keep regeneration in that tract to improve the, the fidelity of regeneration. If, if axons go in different directions, um, one can, get, can potentially start experiencing pain. Um, one can have um, wrong innervation. You know, um, an axon can choose to go somewhere else. Um, and we, again, we we don't know how how it gets to its, its target. What what's the decision queue to get well, to, yeah. to, that, to the that's target? I'm asking and, you, and like, it, it's not to innervate someone in the wrong way, but to see what happens if we give you know a given uh, axon a choice. What will it do? 
and maybe that would give some clue as to how the uh, you know how it knows that there's a pathway there and how it follows a certain pathway. If you have advice, it's for an interesting question. Twice, might be interesting. It, it's an interesting question. Um, it's an interesting question. I know that people have done uh, like a Y scaffold, not in the spinal cord, but in on, in vitro on plates. But there, what they did, they already provided some chemical cues. And the purpose of those experiments was to see which cue is more attractive to the axon. So they provided different chemical cues on the, on the, each, each arm of the Y scaffold. And then they, they followed how axons regenerate and they sort of were trying to understand which one is more potent to, and more attractive to pull the axons towards them. But experiments where there is no key on the other side, just let the axon go um, freely, um, weren't done in that extent. You know, people, so here's what people have done. So not in, this, not in, the, um, in the spinal cord, but in the optic nerve. So the, op the way the optic nerve works, and again, it's, it's the same thing. You have a, a neuron that extends axons. The neuron is in the eye, and they extend axons to innervate back in the brain. Um, and um, in the middle, so when the, the, the axons go out from the, imagine when the axons go backward from the eye backwards to the brain, they don't go straight. There, there, is, a, there is an X form. It's called the chiasm. There is an X where they, they, they sort of cross each other. And there's certain population from one side that would go only to one side and a certain population from the other side that would go to another side. Okay, they would cross. They would not mix by themselves naturally um, in development. And when people did injury um, in the peripheral nerve, what they and they don't provide anything. What they find is that axons um, innervate equally both sides instead of segregate. So... I think in that context, you can say that um, axons would just go wherever they can. I think it would be interesting if you put a, a, an attractant at the end of like a small maze and see if, uh, you know, if the axon finds its way through the maze somehow, if it chooses a path. I know it's a weird experiment, but I just thought about it. So. No, it's an interesting experiment. And people are doing that, and we've been doing that as well. And um, so there is, there is a growth factor. There, there is a a bunch of growth factors that, that are attractive for axons. They can bring more axons to a specific point. Um, there's one that's very potent. It's called BDNF, brain-derived brain derived neurotrophic factor. Um, and it's very potent for axons. And people have been studying it for a long time. And, and if you inject it in the spinal cord or in the peripheral nerve, um, you can see a lot of axons going towards where you have them. The problem is that BDNF, because it's very attractive, when the axons reach that point, they just stay there. They don't go forward. So, um, so the biology sort of, that's why, so, so, you know, naturally you have a variety of neurotrophic factors. You have a gradient of, of concentration. So people have been trying to then tweak maybe to create multiple injections, maybe do a gradient. So, so yes, that's, that's, a, that's another field that uh, we are involved in um, drug delivery growth factors, um, but it, nothing is easy in biology. <laughs> yeah, I know you can't do everything. There's too much to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what would be a, a happy result for you in the next couple of years? What, do you, uh, what are some of your milestones? I think that, that um, 
you know, um, scaling up the technology to, uh, so we've done rodent studies. We show that it works with rats. We have regain of function with rats um, and um, scale up the technology to do more preclinical studies to get closer to the clinic. My, my personal goal is to try and, and develop something that I can say that reach clinical trials and, and, you know, maybe had the chance to, uh, um, to help patients. And so I think that uh, now that we have a proof of concept in rodents to scale up the technology to go to um, preclinical trials, um, if a good, a good uh, you know, result for me would be successful clinical, preclinical trials that would then lead to a clinical trial um, that can potentially you know, have significant impact on patients' lives. Um, so try and, and go that way in spinal cord injuries um, and maybe peripheral nerve injuries as well. Very good. And uh, what's the best way for people to get in touch or to ask questions or to see more of your work? So we have a paper that's published in uh, Nature Medicine in January this, uh, this year. And people can look for the title that you mentioned at the beginning. Um, and um, they can look for me, Yakov Koffler, at UC San Diego. Um, my email is on the paper as well. So people can write. And I've been getting emails. And people can get in touch um, in email, ask questions. And um, I'm happy to answer it as much as I, I know. Well, very good. Well, Yakov, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Sure. Thank you very much for having me. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.